You are listening to the Refresher Ladies Podcast. I'm Angie Christensen, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to today's lesson. Join me and occasional guest speakers as we dive into God's Word to be challenged and refreshed. Hello, and thank you for joining me today. We're going to have a Bible study entitled Burdens and Lights. If you have your Bible or phone handy with the Bible app, turn to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. It's a passage that you may be very familiar with, maybe even have some of it to memory. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus is speaking here, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We have all been given a light uh, to shine as a Christian, to glorify and to reflect Jesus Christ. This light is a gift. It's a gift to light to my own life be in front of me as we're, we're going through this day-to-day journey. But also as I you know fill my heart with the Lord, as I'm in tune with the Holy Spirit, asking Him and you know even a pledge that um, children often say in maybe a Christian school or uh, classroom setting of um, <clears throat> a Bible study, and they say the Bible pledge, and it even says um, that it may light, uh, maybe a word, light into my feet and a lamp into my path. Yes, the Word of God and Jesus Christ shines for us, but if we think today as our light, as our life is a light, a candle, if you will, and things come our way, burdens, uh, we all have them. It's something that we can just not get out of in life. Uh, things that just life happens, as they say. I'm sure you maybe even said that phrase. Well, burdens come and they can often dim our lights. They can cause us to be discouraged, cause us to not shine as brightly, to be focused for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to be so careful. And today we're going to talk about what are some things that dim our lights? What are some ways to keep our light shining brightly to the Lord for the Lord? Um, you know, if you've ever been cave exploring or on a cave tour, um, this story may ring true to you. You may have a memory similar to it. Well, many years ago, my husband and I took our children, uh, to the mammoth caves in Kentucky and it was amazing, just vast and beautiful, um, different colors, the water, the, um, tight spaces, which were not my favorite, uh, but the large spaces, the rooms, the stalactites and mites, just amazing to see over time. Um, how a cave, you know, maybe was already there, but the different growths and crystals that grow. Well, this particular part of the tour, um, all of a sudden we had come through a tight space and we opened up into this beautiful, huge room, if you will, and about two stories or more tall. And just, I don't even know how to explain how wide it was, but the large group that we were in definitely fit inside there on the path that was lit with little glowing, um, you know, electrical little lights that they had on the path. And the tour guide stopped us all and he said, I want to do a little experiment here. I'd like everyone to take your cameras, your phones, any devices or anything on you that is emitting a light or glowing and cover it up, cover everything up, turn things off to the best of your ability. We need it to just be completely dark without any light source. So we gave a few seconds for everyone to do that. And after everyone had, you know, got all the lights out, was surprised in a large group, it all worked. He said, okay, I want everyone to take your hand and just as close as you can get it to your face without hitting your face, wave it a little bit back and forth and tell me what you see. 
And of course, we could see nothing, but it was darker than I had ever been. As much as I thought, you know, growing up, I've closed my eyes tight or been in a dark closet playing hide and go seek. There was nothing compared to the darkness of that cave. And here my hand was just right in front of me. I couldn't even see a shadow, any kind of movement. And while we were there, and he's explaining the darkness, uh, maybe 30 seconds to a minute. I mean, within seconds, you started to realize how completely dark it is. I'm feeling around, you know, for my husband, my little kids at the time. Um, nobody go off the path. And um, he's explaining how, you know, especially in different days of that cave and year eras and generations, centuries gone by, different people have lived there. They've hid out there and how important light would be. But also, you know, if you were hiding out, if someone were coming to look for you, how just the littlest bit of light could give someone that light to be able to see on their path. So he had us remain with all of our lights off and he said, all right, I'm going to show you what one light, how, what a difference it makes. He took one small little standard kitchen uh, match and he lit it. It was amazing. This tiny little match, tiny little light flickering. We could literally see all the way to the ceiling. Now it wasn't bright with detail, but you could definitely see where the ceiling ended, the floor ahead of us, the different walls of the cave from one tiny match. And it just really, really made me think about this, this whole um, passage in the word of God, how Jesus is trying to press upon our hearts that we, it's a gift that we have been given, that we are a light to the darkness of this world. You know, one match makes all the difference in the dark. And we might think of our life, man, what, what kind of difference do I make? Some people will make the, the um, statement, you know, when it comes to voting, well, I'm just one vote. Well, one vote makes a big difference. Just as one Christian could change a workplace, could change a neighborhood, could change a church, um, even amongst Christians, Sometimes we need someone to kind of get us back in line and get us encouraged, get us loving our brethren. <clears throat> well, our lights, ladies, are so important in our relationships with our husband, our uh, friends, children, relatives. Uh, the light that has been given to us also applies to each of these relationships. And as we have these lights, like I said, life comes and they say when it rains, it pours, you know, or when it, um, when storms and things come often, it's, it's just a lot at one time. Well, burdens come to us individually. And when we're dealing with them individually, they affect our marriages and our relationships. But then if we flip that sentence around a little bit, <clears throat> burdens also come to our marriages and relationships that can affect us individually. So corporately, even as a church body and um, again, families, we can be dealing some, with something, but you know, I go my separate way or in my quiet time with the Lord or even in the middle of the night, it affects me individually. Unfortunately, we often choose for these burdens to dim our light that we've been given. Uh, the word of God says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Uh, you know, in different wars, they've had um, lights out with different times as far as bombing raids so that they couldn't see where certain buildings were at before the modern technology of infrared. 
uh, it's so important, you know, to realize that my one light makes all the difference. And you never know who's watching and who is encouraged by your light. Matthew 5, 17 says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Little kids sing um, this little light of mine and about hiding under a bushel or letting Satan blow it out. They can get pretty dramatic with that song, but it's so true. If we didn't have any modern technology or electricity and we really relied upon candles and just, um, you know, some matches or wick, it would be very, very important not to let that light go out or not go let that source of how we would get that light uh, maybe to be damaged by wind or water or you know, accidentally throwing it away. If we were stranded in a mountainous area with no resources, but for some reason we had the resource to light a fire, um, maybe a lighter or matches, some flint, we would do everything we could to protect that light source, knowing that it can be a defense mode. It can keep us warm at night. It could be a signal for help. Uh, we could cook food or boil water with, as long as we had a way to make a fire. And God says, I've given you that light, but sometimes on your own, you choose to put it under a bushel. So I have a lot of questions if you here and there throughout this study. Are you a light to your spouse, to your relationships, friends, family members, co-workers, fellow church members? And in your home, would they say of you that, wow, she is a light. I can go to her for encouragement or, you know, she go, she's going through a rough time, but man, she's still a light for Jesus. The other question is, or do you put out the light that is in your home? That is in that relationship. One of the two ladies, we, we either keep our fire going or we let it just self-extinguish or let it be dimmed. Listen to this uh, kind of silly illustration that I found about someone going through seven years of a married, like a head cold, if one of the spouses were sick and the other one were not. I'm going to go year by year. So the first year of marriage, the one spouse says, sugar dumpling, I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle. And there's no telling about these things with all the strep that's going around. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and good rest. I know the food's lousy, but I'll be bringing your meals in from Rosini's. I have it all arranged with the floor superintendent. Second year. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've called Dr. Miller to rush over here. Now you go lay down like a good girl just for me. The third year, maybe you better go lay down, honey. Nothing like a good rest when you're feeling lousy. I'll bring you some soup. Fourth year of marriage. Now look here, dear. Be sensible. After you've fed the kids and done the dishes and washed the floor, you can go lay down. Fifth year. Why don't you go take a couple of aspirin? You sound like you're getting sick. The sixth year. I wish you would just go gargle something instead of sitting around here barking like a seal all night. In the seventh year. For Pete's sake, stop sneezing. Are you trying to give me pneumonia or something? You know, whoever put together that illustration is is really trying to emphasize that it's amazing how some two people that were just madly in love and 
carrying over every little, you know, toothache and head cold and, you know, hangnail that someone gets and doting over them, taking care of them. As the years go by, it's very, very easy for those lovey-dovey words and that care to wane. And ladies, it could be you, it could be me. Again, it could be a friendship, a child, a relationship. But also, this really applies to our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Have we let our love for the Lord wane? All that he's done for us, he's never changed his love. But we let the burdens of life, you know, the trials, the finances, relationships, the the job worries and woes, um, health issues, really tear us apart and draw a wedge, you know, put that in between us and relationships and us and the Lord. We've got to be so careful about what we let in our life to get in between our relationships. First Peter chapter three, verses one and two says, likewise, ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Now, this is a passage that I know you're probably already thinking, and maybe some of you listening have already rolled your eyes. You don't like it. Um, I've known even many a Christian woman who takes certain things that are in the wedding vows out, such as obey and different things, and just it rubs them the wrong way about being subjection to your own husband. And I have to say, ladies, it's God's plan. It's a gift. It's a beautiful thing that God has made men as the stronger and women as the weaker vessel. Does that mean that we can't do anything? Does that mean that we don't have a say? Not at all. Um, God can give you a peaceful and blessed relationship if we live in our roles. Um, it's something that every marriage is different. Um, when the God gifts you with a spouse that you can love and cherish and honor, but also be best friends with. Um, it's amazing, but you know, it doesn't come just, you know, taken for granted. We've got to be careful and realize, Lord, it's a gift and pray and ask for him to keep those relationships the same, to keep those communication lines open. Ladies, when we are in subjection to our own husbands and we live in those roles, we love and serve and, you know, take care of our families as we should. God gives you you know, a crown of glory as far as like your husband can look at you and love and cherish you um, for that, for being respectful. And we've got to be so careful that in this day and age when there's so much feminism and, you know, the social uprising and injustice and such that the world loves to tweak things and tear the heart of a woman away from the God-given roles that she's been given. Um, the Lord has blessed women. And it's interesting Different cultures have put down women, um, women are objectified, but the Lord never did that. God allowed women in the Old Testament, which they're just, there are some stories that are pretty harsh against women as if they really didn't have value, but God himself allowed in the word of God stories to be recorded, such as Deborah, a judge, and says she was married, but the Lord chose to choose her. You know, it'd be interesting to meet her someday in heaven and really see what her character traits were like. I would imagine as much as she, you know, had wisdom and boldness at times, I believe she was humble. I believe she was still in her role in her marriage. Otherwise, God wouldn't have chosen her. Uh, God chose Mary, you know, to um, have this miraculous birth of Jesus and how it was very interesting in the long chapter of Luke 2, and you go through the whole story of Jesus' birth, that it says in there, Mary pondered these things in her heart. 
it really shows character into her life and into who she was and why God chose her, um, lifted above, above, uh, you know, other women to be able to be part of this miracle. And there's more times in the Bible that an angel appeared to a woman than to a man. So I don't believe God puts women down and that we're lesser or not as important. I think God really looks at and reveres women who follow the word of God, who are walking with him, who are humble, but also in their roles. It's very important to understand that balance and not look at God as someone who puts women down, but rather he chose to include woman after woman in the word of God, in stories of real people's lives that we could relate to, that we could learn from and help our walk of God and our journey in our life. So I found this um, true story. It says, Brian Burrell tells of an armed robber named Dennis Lee Curtis. Apparently, he had some rules and some morals about his thievery. In his wallet, the police found a sheet of paper on which was written the following code, a sort of robber's rules. Number one, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. Number two, I will, t- I will not take cash and food stamps. I will, oh, excuse me. I will only take cash and food stamps, no checks. Number three, I will rob only at night. Number four, I will not wear a mask. Number five, I will not rob mini marts or 7-Elevens. Number six, if I get chased by cops on foot, I will get away. If chased by a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians on the line. Number seven, I will rob only seven months out of the year. Number eight, I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. Very interesting choice of um, line items here. Here's the issue. This thief had a sense of morality, but it was flawed. When he stood before the court, he was not judged by standards he had set for himself on this piece of paper, but by the higher law of the state. Likewise, when we stand before God, we will not be judged by the code of morality we have written for ourselves, but by God's perfect law. So there's three different ways that we take and choose to deal with the burdens that come our way and how it affects our light, the light of our lives. Number one, some choose to dim the very candle of our marriages and relationships we are holding. Um, It's a choice. We decide that it's not as important. There are other things that are more important than my walk with the Lord, walk with those that I love. And um, it's just a self, um, uh, even glorification instead of a Christ glorification. Number two, some choose to actually set down or set aside the candle of our marriage and relationships. And therefore, a fire is started right in front of us as we watch. Uh, a quick little story that really happened last year. I had a candle that was in a glass uh, jar that you buy at the store. And I had burned it many times as people had come over. Well, one evening, late at night, we had put a few candles on around the house. <clears throat> and I told the kids, you know, let's just let this one burn itself out. It's late. And it was all the way down where there was hardly any wax left in the jar. And the wick, you literally could not see it above the little metal casing that it goes in. I said, it's probably just got a few minutes left and I'll throw it away in the morning. Well, we all go to bed and I would say maybe even up to 45 minutes to an hour later, there was this crash 
And then I heard all this thumping and running down the hallway and running down the stairs of my children um, who are all teenagers. And I thought, oh, goodness, maybe, you know, something broke. What happened? But uh, I'll, I was slow. My back was hurting. So I thought I'll take a few minutes or slowly get down. That sounds like they're handling it. Well, then I hear all the feet, you know, running up the stairs and knocking on my door. And my husband and I said, you know, welcome them in and asked them what was going on. And I, as I'm at the door about to head down myself, I said, what happened? Did somebody break something? You know, and they said, no, it was the candle, the candle. I said, what? And they said, yes, it apparently broke. And then it literally caught our end table on fire. And they thankfully, between the four of them, uh, were able to put it out. But there was this huge um, black you know, scorch mark on the table. And I said, are you kidding me? There was hardly anything left. And it was, you know, so long ago and there was glass everywhere. I, I just couldn't believe it. And here I had not followed my own rules and smarts, you know, to not let a candle burning and leave the room. And I never would have guessed that it would break the glass, um, with such little flame or fuel source left. And it was such a reminder and it reminded me of this lesson that, wow, when we decide to go against even the laws of nature that God has set up and to live my own life and to set aside my walk with the Lord, my life can catch on fire without notice. It can just really turn into a wreck. And ladies, we're not supposed to do that. Just please don't ever set aside your walk with the Lord and think you're going to come back to it. It is so disastrous and it rarely happens where we catch it in time. The wonderful thing about the Lord is he is a God of healing and rescue. But there comes a point where he might say, you want this so bad, I'll let you have it. But we have to live with the consequences that can really ruin a life. The third thing here is, and it's the fewest um, of all the things that people choose to do, is if you choose to ask God to actually take control of our flame, of our life, our marriage, our relationships, and to ask God, give him the control to please burn it brighter with love and with godliness. I found this true story about Elizabeth Barrett Browning, very famous poet and author. Well, her father disapproved of her marriage to Robert Browning so strongly that he never gave her permission and didn't forgive her. She wrote letters to her father seeking reconciliation, but he returned them unopened. He had opened, had he opened them and read the beautiful language she used, used, he may have forgiven her. The Bible, ladies, is God's love letter to us. It gives us reconciliation, forgiveness, restoration, yet many people never open it and read it. You don't, ladies, I ask you today, as I ask myself putting this study together, do you and I, do we have unopened apologies from a spouse, a child, a loved one that we need to read and forgive and restore? Is it between you and the Lord? There's so many things that we stop and think we've got control of it or we sweep it over to the side as if it never happened. But sometimes God wants us to back up and to deal with it. And when we do, he can shine the candle of our light brighter than ever. I hope that this um, got your heart on the right path for this study. And uh, maybe look up some of these verses and look at it again with a fresh eyes. Our next lesson will continue it. And I look forward to finishing this study with you. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day. 
Thank you for joining me today for our Refresher Ladies Podcast. I hope that you have been blessed and will go about your day with rejoicing. For more information or any questions, you can find our ministry online at cornerstonefallbrook.org.